Hey, welcome into the Mock Draft Monday edition of the Locked On Longhorns podcast right here on the Locked On Podcast Network. My name is Patrick Ahn. With me, as always, Cammie Ann Griffin. You can follow the show on Twitter, LO underscore Longhorns. Follow me at Pat Sports Guy, and you can follow Cammie at Cammie and G. Cammie, it's Monday. We're going to do a little Mock Draft Monday here coming up pretty soon. Uh, but first, let's get into... We're really on day four, right, of the <laughs> post-sports era. <laughs> I know. I've lost track of the days, to be honest, and it seems like more and more news is coming out each day. But in terms of not having sports, that kind of all happened around, yeah, I would say about four days ago. Um, what have you been up to? What are you watching? What are you? Are you playing video games? What are you doing? Well, uh, yes, I am. Uh, Friday... Uh, MLB The Show was released. If you got the MVP edition, you got to play it four days early. So pretty much all weekend, I was between writing articles and, you know, writing about some draft prospects and whatnot. Yeah, I've pretty much been playing MLB The Show. I'm pretty excited about it. Yeah, it's it's hard for me not having sports on the TV. It's kind of, I guess, still surreal because I'll go sit down on the recliner like a normal day and check the TV guide to see what's on. There's literally nothing on that even remotely looks appealing. So I've been more into Netflix and Hulu the past few days, but there's only so much to watch on there. So I'm assuming maybe about a week or two from now, I'll start going a bit stir crazy. But today I actually watched the My All-American movie about the true story of Freddie Steinmark playing under Coach Royal at the University of Texas in the 1960s. And if you all haven't seen it yet, it's definitely a must watch. It's one of my top favorite, I guess, top five favorite movies. And I know that Freddie Steinmark is actually a name that every current Texas football player becomes familiar with just because um, his heart was unmatched and he came in as a guy that was considered too small and overlooked, etc. And he had to face a lot of obstacles in his way. But I don't want to give too much away, but it honestly makes me cry every time I see it. So I would highly recommend watching it if you haven't yet. Yeah, good one. I know another thing that you like to watch, and I'm pretty sure you can get your hands on it, you start uh, binge watching. And that's Friday Night Lights, the TV series. Oh, it is. I can't even count how many times I've gone through that series. And honestly, sometimes when I can't find anything to watch right before bed or something to kind of uh, put me to sleep, I'll just pick a random episode and play it. So um, I'm still loving that series. I wish uh, we had more, but um, probably the best football team ever, huh? Or at least coach. Yeah, clear eyes, full heart, can't, can't lose. lose. That's right. It's a, it's definitely a good series. But let's get into a little bit of Longhorn news. That's what the people tune in to hear about. So what do we have on the 40 acres today? Oh, we actually had some big news come out, surprisingly, even though no sports are going on. But um, senior pitcher Miranda Ellish actually posted on her Instagram today that she'd be returning next season. Um, word for word, she stated that uh, there's nobody else that she would rather go through this journey with. She can't wait to get back on the field with her girls. And she ended it with Hook'em 5-Ever instead of 4-Ever. Obviously, the 5-Ever, of course, is relating to uh, her becoming a fifth-year senior. Um, this was a major announcement for the Longhorn softball program, considering how dominant she was both on the mound and at the plate uh, this short 2020 season. And oddly enough, if she were to not choose to come back for the 2021 spring season, she would have ended her collegiate career with pitching a perfect game. 
Um, but it's clear she has much higher team goals than what was accomplished this season because she really didn't need much time to commit to returning. And I'm hoping this kind of um, opens the floodgates with a few uh, other players. Um, I know from the baseball and softball programs, both hopefully making these same type of announcements in the coming days or weeks. But uh, what are your thoughts on her announcement? You know, I think it, it's big for the program. You know, Mike White has really, since he came over, you know, he's really started to build momentum. Obviously, he brought Ellis with him. He brought uh, Lauren Burke with him. He brought Mary Iacopo with him. I think that's how you say her name, and I apologize if I butchered it. You know, so they came over with him, so they obviously knew what kind of coach he was, and everything that I've ever heard about him is, you know, how good of a coach he is. And I think it's big. I mean, obviously, they were number one in the country before everything got shut down. And I, a lot of that I, I would give him credit for, just for being able to put that team together. You know, they got a lot of youngsters with, you know, Courtney Day. I think Lauren Burke's only a sophomore. So, you know, those two right there, along with Ellis and, and the other two that I mentioned, you know, that they have a lot of good talent on that team. So, obviously, I think the reason why you would come back is you, your goals are much loftier than you know, pitching a perfect game or being ranked number one in the country. I think Ellis is coming back. Obviously, she wants to finish what she started, and that's get this team into the Women's College World Series and ultimately bring a championship to the 40 Acres. I really think that's what this whole reason why she came back was all about. Yeah, I agree. And um, hopefully they can start just as strong um, early on in the 2021 season. But it's also worth noting that the past three years, the 2018, 19, and 2020 seasons, Elish was actually um, listed on the top 50 preseason watch list for USA Softball National Collegiate Player of the Year. And she was obviously on the right track for that this year. She probably would have been a finalist for it. Um, who knows? Maybe she would have taken home um, that honor. But I'm assuming it'll be four years in a row when she returns next season. She's definitely one to watch. Yeah, I don't think that that's going to change, you know, based on what we saw her do early on in the season, you know, with the bat and then what we saw her do lately. I mean, obviously she pitched a lot. So it's it's not surprising to me at all um, to see her that high on those lists. And who knows, maybe she'll be even higher next year. And I don't see there's, that there'd be any reason why Texas shouldn't be the number one ranked team whenever softball comes around again, you know, given that she's coming back and how loaded that team is from top to bottom. Right. But, and uh, e even the um, couple of games that Texas lost, I know she pitched against Fresno state. Um, I can't remember if she pitched against Duke or not. She may have, but um, she did. She had all yeah. three. So even in her losses, they only lost by what one run, and she actually had eleven strikeouts, which was her season high against Fresno State. So I mean, she was dominant even in the games that they unfortunately um, couldn't close out. So I'm looking forward to her returning. Yeah, she actually had all three losses by the team, but they were all by a run, and you know, it wasn't her fault that the bats couldn't hit anything. Right. I mean, because she gave up so few runs in those games, and then it's just the bats wouldn't come alive. But, you know, that's just, you know, part of the game. I mean, you can't win them all as much as we'd love them to. Uh, but we're going to take a quick break. And coming up next, we're going to get into a little mock draft Monday.
All right, well, before we started the show, I told you it was Mock Draft Monday, so that's what we're going to get into next. Really wanting to see where the nation is looking at Brandon Jones, Colin Johnson, Devin DuVernay. I haven't seen anything on Malcolm Roach. He's obviously going to be a late rounder. And the other one that could kind of work his way in onto a team next season through the undrafted ranks is uh, Zach Shackelford, but really we're going to focus on the top three, and Cammy, you have found some mock drafts where we can kind of see where people are thinking that the trio might go. Oh, I sure have, and I think it's realistic, honestly, um, watching these uh, released throughout the last few weeks, that the Texas trio that you just mentioned of safety Brandon Jones and wide receivers Colin Johnson and Devin DuVernay to be drafted even within 20 or so picks of each other, so I think once one goes off the board, I expect the other two names to be called shortly after, but Brandon Jones definitely remains the highest player taken in most mock drafts that we've seen recently. And I believe the highest was from NFL.com's Chad Reuter, who mocked Jones to the Dallas Cowboys with the number 82 overall pick in the draft. And I also keep a close eye on the full seven round mock drafts from our colleagues over at the draft wire. And their latest mock actually had Jones slipping to the fourth round where uh Throughout the past few weeks or months, he was actually consistently projected in the third round. So that was a bit of a slide, um, which means no Texas player would actually be drafted until day three. Uh, But like I mentioned, Jones slipped to round four while Colin Johnson's stock has seemingly increased a little bit. Um, Brandon Jones in the draft wire mock draft was drafted number 110 overall in the fourth round to the New York Giants. Colin Johnson was taken shortly after at number 120 overall in the fourth round to the New York Jets. And then Devin DuVernay was actually selected the first pick of the fifth round um, at number 147 overall to the Cincinnati Bengals. So um, that trio, I mean, it's just so close in these mock drafts. They're just going to be called bam, bam, bam. But um, realistically, it should probably um, fall with Jones being selected first and Colin Johnson and then uh, following it up with Devin DuVernay. But I don't think Roach or Shackleford will get drafted. I think they'll be um, highly targeted undrafted free agents, most likely. I think Roach is a candidate for day three, late day three, you know, seventh round, sixth round, maybe in a compensatory pick, you know, at the back end of the draft. But you're right. I mean, it's probably either that or undrafted free agent, most likely. Um, you know, the Brandon Jones 82 by Chad Reader is interesting. Because when I look at, you know, obviously I, I cover the Cowboys for WFAA, but when you look at Brandon Jones, the things that he does best is something that the Cowboys really need. When you talk about a guy who can who can tackle well, um, he has some man coverage in him, taking on tight ends and, you know, running backs. And I think that he can do that well, plus the fact that, you know, the big thing that he brings is physicality. So I definitely would, I can see that uh, pro football network had a three round mock draft where they had him going in the third round as a compensatory pick to the Philadelphia Eagles. So that's another team that I see consistently with Brandon Jones. And, you know, it makes sense because the, they need safety help. They need defensive back help. And obviously Brandon Jones is going to be one of the top, probably top six safeties taken in the draft. Um, Colin Johnson, is his rising is not a surprise to me, mostly because I value the opinion of Trevor Sycamore from the draft network. 
and he told me that that uh, he's the better of between him and Duvernay. He thinks that Colin Johnson's the better receiver, despite the fact that Devin put up a monster season last season. Yeah, I kind of agree with several different points of these mock drafts because I do think Brandon Jones will most likely be selected around anywhere between uh, picks 85 to low 100s. Um, Like you mentioned, he's a very physical style of player. He can start at strong safety most likely at the next level. Um, And he's an exceptional tackler. I think Colin Johnson and Devin DuVernay are realistically – probably going to be a fourth or fifth round pick just because we've been speaking so much about how um, talented this wide receiver class is but whichever team gets both of those it's going to be a major steal obviously um, they bring different traits to a team Colin Johnson is a big bodied wide receiver who's actually a great route runner I, I would even say an underrated route runner and Devin Duvenier obviously has that um, unique frame. He's not as um, tall as you'd like, but he's obviously very quick. He has that stout, um, very strong lower half and very strong hands as well. But um, And also Devin Duvenier brings that consistency. I can't stress enough how he hasn't missed a single game in his four-year collegiate career. So I think they each bring different traits, but overall uh, they're realistically put um, – in the right spot, I would say Brandon Jones, um, third round, Colin Johnson and Devin DuVernay, probably both late fourth round, early fifth round selections. Yeah, and with a team like the New York Jets who really need a wide receiver, I wouldn't be surprised to see the the duo, either one of the duos going there. Um, I mean, there's so many teams up and down. If you look at who needs wide receiver help, Colin Johnson would be a good fit with Dallas. Uh, personally, I think because they need a true X wide receiver and they can allow Mari, provided he signs, um, they can move him around. And, you know, because Colin is a he's a one spot guy. He's he's the X receiver. He's the outside guy. Um, you know, Philadelphia needs wide receivers. So either one of those guys there, they're not they're probably not going to sign Nelson Aguilar. So they're needing them. There are so many teams out there that are going to need wide receivers, and that's why I think, you know, it's it's good for the duo because I think that they're going to find a spot, you know, relatively quickly, you know, between both of those teams. Uh, but just kind of off the subject real quick, are you, were you at, at all surprised that the collective bargaining agreement for the NFL got approved and now the free agency is about to kick off? Yeah, I was actually a bit surprised um, with the outcome of that just because of how many players were vocal um, on not wanting that, obviously, to move forward. But um, I don't know, I guess (laughs) just like we, I guess, witnessed in a lot of the um, presidential elections and things like that, like even though people are being so vocal about what they want or dislike or things like that, I mean, it, it, it takes into account how many players was it, for example? I can't remember exactly several hundred, but um, and somehow it went through. But it was apparently a very um, close margin, though. It it was. There was over a thousand votes that uh, were approving it. So now the NFL off season will kick off. Uh, Free agency will start, and it's probably going to get pretty hectic over the next few weeks. There are a few Texas former Texas Longhorns that are going to be looking for new teams. So. You want to keep an eye out for, um, obviously, one guy who's been pretty vocal about it, and Sam Ocho, his contract is up. be interesting to see where he goes. 
Uh, obviously, there's Colt McCoy. Uh, he's done in Washington where he could end up back in Cleveland. That was one spot that we've heard about. Um, Adrian Phillips, the, he was you know, it's surprising to me. And uh, may, maybe you don't know this, but I, I kind of thought this was interesting. In 2018, Adrian Phillips was in uh, first-team All-Pro. And what's shocking about that, not that he was an All-Pro, but he only started seven games that year and was named All-Pro. Jeez. I mean, isn't that amazing? He played half a season. No, he played the whole season, but he only started seven games. Oh, okay. I thought you were thinking, like, mentioning that he was hurt or something. No, no, no. Oh, yeah, that's impressive. No, the next season, he was hurt. Okay, yeah. uh, but in 2018, he only started seven. He played, I believe he played in all 16 games, but he's going to be looking for a new team. There's a lot of teams needing safety help right now. Yeah, what I just thought about now that we're on the NFL draft topic and things like that, um, with the whole coronavirus stuff going on, do you think they're actually still going to hold that in Vegas? Or do you think that's probably going to be um, maybe just done via phone calls and um, from remote locations? Or how do you think that's going to play out? Well, I think... The only thing that's going to change is how they announce them. I don't expect it to go down in Vegas, um, just for the simple fact that CDC has come out and said that they're going to recommend not having gatherings of 50 people or more for the next eight weeks. Mm-hmm. So I think that it's probably going to end up something like... Um, them announcing the picks from NFL headquarters and still doing what, you know, some teams do where they have the war room cam. Right. Where you kind of see the, see them in there talking. I think they'll still do something like that, but I just don't think it's going to be held in Vegas. I I don't think that they're going to go through with holding it in a public venue with everything that's going on, but I still think the draft is going to happen. It's just going to be a little more, digital than it has been in years past right which i think the players will be fairly comfortable with by then because i think they're already um, meeting via facetime and skype and things like that but i agree with you especially after the report today that several casinos and hotels in vegas were being shut down momentarily so um, i guess it's a fluid situation but i agree the draft will still uh, go on just their way of going about it might be a little different it might be yeah it's definitely going to be a little bit different and so All right, coming up next, we're going to get into a little Texas Longhorns football talk where we discuss Tom Herman and the upcoming schedule. All right, let's talk a little Texas Longhorns football for next season. Vegas has come out with the odds already. And Texas will be opening up as underdogs at LSU against Oklahoma and Oklahoma State. Are you surprised by any of those three? Uh, I mean, I would love to see the over-under kind of thing for um, them being underdogs. But LSU, I I mean, they're, de- they're the defending national champions. I get that. I guess it's not surprising that we're underdogs going into that matchup. But I do think Texas is going to come out on top. I think they'll defeat LSU even in LSU. I mean, they're going to have a completely new – team it seems like over with LSU and obviously Scott Linehan um, taking over as offensive coordinator Um, Oklahoma that one's kind of 50-50 to me I wasn't um, uh, new quarterback though has a lot to prove 
that's a huge rivalry game can go either way. So I never take that too seriously in terms of those betting odds. And you also said Oklahoma state, correct at Oklahoma mm-hmm. state. Yeah. That's closest big 12 play. Mm, I'd probably, I would say I'm most surprised about that one. I think Texas would probably uh, come out on top of that, but um, what about you? Did any of those surprise you? Mm, well, no, not necessarily. Oklahoma state one surprised me a bit. Yeah. Just because Texas beat Oklahoma State last year, Ellinger is coming back, new staff, you know. Um, I mean, I, I'm sure there's going to be questions, but I still thought they would be favored over Oklahoma State. That was a little different for me. But you know, overall, I don't think – but you you were right, though, about LSU having a completely new team. They're going to have a new quarterback. Um, they're still going to have Chase, the standout wide receiver, but they're losing Justin Jefferson. Uh, their tight end and Thaddeus Moss is going to be gone. Their center is going to be gone. That's just on the off. Oh, and they're running back. So that's just the offensive side of the ball. We haven't got to the defense where they're losing their best, you know, edge rusher and Blavion Chase on. Uh, Patrick Queen is going to be gone. Their linebacker. Delpit, their safety. Christian Fulton, the corner. I mean, it's going to be up and down that lineup. There's going to be a brand new team. But. The big question now is, is this Tom Herman's last stand? Um, kind of, I would believe that. And I, I like what um, our athletic director, Del Conte, actually said when he mentioned that Herman knows you kind of only get one shot to reshape your staff like he did. I mean, he essentially did an overhaul of his whole staff, but um, I do agree that this has to be the year he puts it all together. There have obviously been high expectations surrounding him since he came here from Houston. And I think at this point, he at the very least has to win the Big 12 this year. Hopefully he can lead them into the college football playoffs. But I think this season would be a disappointment if they did not win the Big 12. Or, I mean, I wouldn't even think competing in the Big 12 championship would be enough. I think they need to win the Big 12 here. And they have consistently had talented recruiting classes coming in but eventually it has to translate onto the field at some point yeah i agree i think that the um defensive side is really the big problem um the inability to rush the passer has really hurt them and especially against a team like oklahoma you've got to be able to put pressure on the quarterback if you plan on winning it's going to be a little bit different this year, obviously, because they're going to be going with a brand-new quarterback this year. Uh, don't know who it's going to be yet. Uh, all odds say it's going to be Spencer Rattler. But, you know, when you play a team like that, you got to put pressure on the quarterback. And and so um, I'd say the defense, there's a lot of pressure on the defensive side of the ball. So uh, I think as much pressure as there is on Tom Herman, I think Chris Ash is going to have a lot of pressure because, you know, he failed at his last stop at Rutgers and – just feel like you know this is kind of his last chance to prove that he can be a good defensive coordinator at the college level yeah but at the same time I see both sides because I don't think he has too much pressure in the sense that under Todd Orlando they literally had one of the worst units in college football last season so it's not like it can get much worse um I think Chris Ash's new scheme is really going to help Texas put pressure on the quarterback obviously we mentioned Joseph Asai should have a breakout year um we have five-star Alfred Collins coming in we have five-star Jatavian Sanders coming in the year after so um they have plenty of talent coming in it's just Hopefully they can put it together, but I can see why all of the coaches, not just Ash, have 
um, a lot of high expectations surrounding them. Um, I know tensions are going to be high considering Herman probably knows uh, what, how hot his seat is at the moment. Um, but I can see both sides. I, I mean, I don't think the defensive unit can get much worse as they did from last season. Um, but obviously it's your first year coming in to the University of Texas. So you want to um, show out where you can. So I'm iffy on that. So you mentioned Todd Orlando. Are you talking about the the great linebackers coach from Texas Tech University, Todd Orlando? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. How long did that last? Five minutes. <laughs> I, he was he there has, long enough to take a photo with Matt Wells. And he probably did he as left. much. He probably did as much as Texas Tech as he did at Texas. Uh oh, ouch. That's rough. <laughs> Just playing around. I had to throw that little jab. Uh, no. Yeah. No. It's. That's for sure. Uh, yeah, I I agree with you that the talent's going to be there, and, and hopefully with you know Prince Dorba, you know Alfred Collins, all the guys that they're going to have, just beside, you know, I think that the defense should really step up this next season. I'm really interested to see how Sam Ellinger goes out on his senior year. I'm excited about football, but at the same time, I'm it's kind of looking like we might not get spring football this year with that eight-week ruling. I know. That's disappointing, but hopefully they can work something out. I'm assuming by the end of April, things could hopefully go back to normal and keep their spring schedule as close um, to what they expected as possible. But like we keep mentioning, it's a fluid situation, and CDC, mm -hmm. like you um, said, is already um, trying to have – gatherings of 50 or more people banned for the next eight weeks or they at least recommend that for example so eight weeks is a long time from now so it you're really missing is. pretty much all the spring season at that point it really is it makes you wonder when baseball like major league baseball will be able to take off again but uh, uh yeah yeah but this that's gonna do it for this episode of the locked on longhorns podcast tune in tomorrow we will be taking your questions via twitter facebook however you can get a hold of us for cammy i'm patrick and we will see you tomorrow hook them you're locked on longhorns your daily podcast on the texas longhorns